Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And I'll read it to you. Listen carefully. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, everybody say he was Danny DeVito. (laughs) And he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Everybody say immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today, Everybody say, today. Today. Salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. He's a Jewish man. So the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Father, I pray today that you would help me, Lord, to convey this message, Lord. I'm not a great preacher, Lord, but I know that I love you dearly, and I want people to connect with you in a more deeper and intimate way, Father. So I ask today that you would take my words and inspire them by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday, and it it actually marks the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And I would encourage you to read the story about Holy Week, starting in Luke chapter 19. And there's a lot of things that happen during Holy Week Some people call it the Passion Week of Christ. And this is the beginning of the story. And Jesus is actually passing through Jericho. And I had a chance to go to Israel. You need to go to Israel. It's life-changing. Going to Israel just changes your life. It's a beautiful, unbelievable place where God's promises come to pass in a very physical, uh, physical way and very visual way. And I was standing on a mountain looking down at the the valleys in which you need to pass through on the road to Jericho, and the road to Jericho leads to Jerusalem, and, and, um, and that road is a very dangerous road, and we know that from the story of the Good Samaritan where the Bible says there were robbers and thieves that, that mugged the Good Samaritan, or, or mugged a, 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 a Samaritan, and he was bleeding and dying on the side of the road, and a Good Samaritan came and picked him up and took him. He actually was Jewish. And so, so we know it was a, a difficult place to travel. And Jesus is traveling through that road and he's going to Jerusalem, um, but he has to pass through. And as he passes through, he meets number one, blind Bartimaeus. And blind Bartimaeus, when he hears that the Messiah, Jesus, is in town, he starts to cry out to the Lord. Notice the intensity of the moment. Notice that blind Bartimaeus He's not going to miss that opportunity, the moment when Jesus visits, the moment when Jesus comes to town. He's not going to miss that opportunity. He's not going to miss that experience. 
And he cries out to the Lord and he said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And his disciples say to Jesus, tell him to stop or be quiet. And, 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 and they, they try to shut up blind Bartimaeus. They even tell blind Bartimaeus, stop, stop crying out to the Lord. But Jesus notices. Why does Jesus notice? Why does Jesus stop? He notices and he stops because I believe that whenever someone comes with incredible humility, the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you cry out to God in brokenness, when you cry out in humility, it makes Jesus stop. It gets Jesus' attention. Humility always gets the attention of the master. And he heals blind Bartimaeus, and now there's a a man, his name is Zacchaeus, and he's a short man, and he also hears that Jesus is coming to town, but the Bible says he's a short man, and so he can't see over the crowd. Now, I want to fast forward, and we'll get back to Zacchaeus in a moment, because if you read Luke chapter 19, you'll notice that that's the beginning of the day. It's the beginning of Jesus' Passion Week, and it's the beginning of Jesus encountering two people that are humble, two people that go home healed, two people that go home with salvation, two people that experience the power of God in an incredible way. And then if you notice, there's there's a parable in between that about talents, and then Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And as he enters into Jerusalem, there's a crowd of people. And this crowd of people, they take palm branches. And what's the palm branch to signify? Well, the palm branch actually goes back to the days of the Maccabean family. And if you know anything about Scripture, you know that between Malachi and Matthew, there's a period of time where the Jewish people, which we get Hanukkah from, the Jewish people, they rise up against their enemies who are tormenting them and abusing them and want to destroy them. And they rise up and the Maccabean family, they hold out. And as they're in holding and they're holding out, they pray and God gives them a miracle and the oil doesn't run out for how many days? Eight days. Thus Hanukkah. And the palm branches are a symbol of revolt. It's a symbol of revolution. And so when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, he comes riding on a donkey. Why did he come riding on a donkey, not a horse? Because it's in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 where it says your king comes riding in on a donkey. Now Jesus could have rode in on a donkey and, if, and, and, and on a horse, and if he rode in on a horse... What he was actually saying is the Messiah is here and he is here to overthrow the Roman government. And he comes making war. So riding in on a white horse, on a horse, a triumphal horse, is making a statement. Jesus always made a statement. And now he rides in on a colt, on a donkey. And he's making a statement. And the statement he's making is... I'm not coming to make war against Rome. I'm coming to bring peace to Israel. And I'm coming to bring peace. But they missed it. They missed the moment of opportunity in their life. 
They missed the moment in which Jesus came to bring peace within. They missed what God was actually saying. They missed the fact that until you have peace within, until you have peace with him, until you make peace with God, I don't care who you wipe out. I don't care what enemy you wipe out. The truth is you're still going to die. The truth is you're going to stand before God on judgment day. The truth is if you don't know Jesus as your Messiah, you're going to spend a Christless hell, eternity in hell. And therefore, Jesus was coming first to die on the cross for them, to suffer as a suffering Messiah. According to Isaiah 53, he came as a king to die on the cross and this is what Holy Week is all about I want you to come out on Good Friday to celebrate the death of Christ and so he's coming riding in on a donkey and they should have recognized they should have known the scripture they should have known that the Messiah was coming to give them peace within but they missed it and they lay these palm branches down because they want Jesus to overthrow the Roman government. They had their own motives and agendas. And the Bible says, they sang all the right songs. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Is that true about you? Absolutely. Hosanna, save us now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now. That's what it means. So they were saying, he's coming to save us now. Now why was that important? Because you see, the Romans were, they were vicious to the Jews. And, 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 and the Jews had good reason to be angry. Because if, if a Jewish man had a, had a farm, had a, a lot of land, and he produced a lot of produce, they would take three quarters of it for themselves. They abused the Jews, the Romans. They would make the, the Jews walk with their, with their equipment. That's why Jesus said, if somebody tells you to walk one mile, walk two miles. They would take everything that the Jews had. The Jews were furious and they wanted to rise up and revolt against. And, and, and that's what they were actually in some ways taught to do. They had gone through many battles before. So it, it, it wasn't out of the ordinary to say a Messiah is going to come to save us from this ungodly nation, these Gentiles, these pagans. But they missed it. They missed the moment. They missed the moment of visitation. You see, sometimes you can be so right that you're dead right. Sometimes you can know the scriptures, but you don't really know the heart of Jesus. And Jesus said, look, you search the scriptures and you search diligently, but you can't see that I am the fulfillment of the scripture. Every verse, every chapter, every statement is about me and you missed me. And I want to tell you that there's some people, they go to church week after week. You can pray, you can read the scripture, you can serve in the church, you can even be a leader in the church, you can say all the right things, you can sing all the right songs and still miss Jesus. Jesus said that in the day of judgment, some will come and say, Jesus, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me, I don't, I don't even know you, you don't know me. Because you've missed the moment of opportunity. And I want you to know there are going to be times in which Jesus wants to visit you. He wants to come into your house. He says, today salvation is going to come to you. And that even though you're a Christian, God wants you to go deeper in your walk with God. I'm convinced that there's so much more of God that I have not experienced in my life. 
Oh, I'm so convinced of that. Because if I have, then I would be walking in, in power and might. I'd be able to walk into the hospital room and pray for the sick and really believe that they would be healed. I mean, if I look at my life and I look at a New Testament believer and I see the promises of God, man, I, there's a lot I need to still experience in my life. And I believe that all of us in this room can experience more of God. He's so deep. He's so powerful. He's so majestic. He's so wise. He's so mighty. He's so glorious. He's the God who created the heavens and the earth. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Hallelujah. Man, I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg with God. But I know that he wants me to experience more of his glory, more of his power, more of his anointing, more of his intimacy in my life. But I'm here. I'm telling you, I'm convinced that there are moments in all of our lives, when Jesus wants to do something special, it's the manifest glory of God. When he wants to do something special. And the difference will be between Zacchaeus and the crowd. What will we do when Jesus visits us? What will we do when there's a moment, an opportunity, that Jesus wants to do something special in our life? He wants to do a miracle in our life. He wants to set us free from something that we've been bound by for years and years. He wants to save somebody. He wants to speak to somebody in an Easter service. But we missed our opportunity. Why? Because we were afraid to tell somebody that Bethlehem Assembly of God having an Easter service and we, we weren't un, uh, caring enough to pray and believe I'm going to be fasting this week. I'm telling you, I'm going to be fasting this week because God has put it in my heart that there's somebody that's going to come to the service this week uh, on Easter Sunday and they're going to need Jesus and they're going to need to be delivered from drugs and alcohol. They're going to need a, a new name. They're going to need a name that's written in heaven. They're going to need a new life. They're going to need to be transformed. And I'm going to take it serious this week. How about you? Hallelujah. The moment, the opportunity. I want, I want to give you permission right now to get on your phone and text somebody. This will be the last time I give you permission to do that while I'm preaching. And I want you to text somebody right now and say, hey, would you come with me to my church next week on Easter? Come on, pull out your phone right now. And invite somebody. Invite a friend. Invite, invite a neighbor. Hey, hey, I'm going to call you in a little while. Do it now. Do it now. Right now, obedience. Do it now because you're going to forget. You're going to hear the sermon. You're going to go home. You're going to eat your pasta fazul. You're going to fall asleep and you're going to forget. And so now is the time to be obedient to the Lord. The difference between Zacchaeus and the crowd Zacchaeus took advantage of the moment, took advantage of the opportunity. But the crowd did not notice what Jesus does. He, he passes through the crowd and he hears the singing and the praising. And the Bible says that he passes through and he, he begins to weep. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, people of Jerusalem, how I would have healed you. How I would have done a great work in your life. How you would have experienced transformation in your life. But you missed the moment of opportunity. 
He said, I would have gathered you together like a hen gathers its chicks, and I would have brought healing and restoration in your life, but you missed that opportunity. Why? Because you came with the wrong motives. You came with the wrong agenda. You came to to seek a, a reigning king, and you didn't realize that this king first had to die so that you might have eternal life, so that you might be changed. You missed your moment of opportunity. The same day, the same hour, the same opportunity, the same moment, the same king, the same power. One person gets it. One person responds right away. One person connects with Jesus. One person receives salvation. One person is transformed by that visitation of Jesus. The others, they experience nothing. And the sad fact is that Jesus is still coming to people. He's coming to seek to save that which is lost. The truth is there are thousands of people that have come to Bethlehem. I've been the pastor for 25 years. I became the pastor when I was five years old. And I want to tell you, I have seen, I've literally seen thousands of people walk through the doors of this church. Thousands. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of them come on Easter. I've seen people come to these altars. I've seen people sit in their seats, hear sermons, and walk out of this place unchanged by the power of God. And then I've seen people, I've seen people get out of their seat almost before the sermon was finished, feeling the very presence of God, the anointing of God, the voice of the Spirit speaking to their hearts saying, today is your day. This is your moment. This is your opportunity to give your life to Jesus. And I've seen people come to this altar broken and humbled and leave this place changed by the power of God. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. He was a changed man. We'll talk about it in a few moments. He was transformed by the power of God. That's what happens when you truly encounter Jesus. You cannot be the same. I mean, you may have to grow. You may have some struggles in your life. When we come to Jesus, we we don't become perfect. Nobody's perfect. I come close, but nobody's perfect. And we've got a lot of growing to do. And we've got a lot of learning to do. And we've got a lot of falling and getting back up to do. But boy, oh boy, when you, you meet the real Jesus... Something changes in your life. And several years ago, I went to the island of Jamaica, Man, Yaman. And I've been going back almost every year since. And one occasion, I met a young man. His name is Sterling Sinclair. And I'll never forget, I was doing a leadership training. And Sterling came over to me and said, Pasta. Only like a Jamaican can say it. Pastor, you're a godly man, Pastor. And we got to know each other, and he became a leader at Teen Challenge, and he, and he ministered and served under his director so loyally and faithfully. The Lord raised him up, and now he's the director of Teen Challenge in Delaware. And he's doing a great work. And every time I sit with him, I'm so excited because I remember hearing the story about how God transformed his life. 
That's what happens when Jesus comes into your life and Sterling today is with us with his family and he's going to come. I need a microphone. I need a microphone quickly. He's going to come and share for a few moments about what God does when he comes into your life. When you experience that moment in your life, when you experience that opportunity in your life, when like Zacchaeus you humble yourself, this is what God can do when you let God visit you. Come on, give it up for Sterling. Just to be here with you, very humbled and, and honored at the same time. And um, Jesus is alive. I am convinced. Um, I am convinced it's too late to now tell me he's, he's not alive. And um, 15 years ago, I'm from Kingston, Jamaica, the worst part of Jamaica you can ever think about. Um, my mother's son and my father's child. And um, it was extremely difficult. And um, it wasn't easy. I grew poor, I saw poverty, uh, crime and violence. I became my environment. At age 10, I started smoking cigarettes. At age 12, I was fully addicted to marijuana. Dropped out of high school at 15, wanted to do my own thing. Did my own thing for a very long time. I was the El Numero Uno of all the shows I, I was a part of. And um, at age 19, I made crack cocaine. And um, it, it, it completely destroyed my life. I almost died on many occasions. And um, somehow in the back of my mind, I was also a part of the Rastafarian movement. I embraced Rastafarianism. I celebrated Emperor Elie Selassie I. And um, that was just a terrible experience for me. And I remember the Lord opened the door. I didn't even know it was Jesus who did that. I was so desperate. I was tired of living. Really wanted to commit suicide many times, but there was a hell somewhere in the back of my mind. And it wasn't because Jesus told me that hell was real. I just knew in my heart there, there is a place called hell because I remember going to church as a boy. And um, I enjoyed church, but no one took the time out, so you know, to explain the gospel to me. And I, I'll never forget the, just the desperation and the, the hurt and the pain and the heartache. And then my mom would cry herself to sleep every night. And I knew that, and my brothers and sisters said to her, enough of this boy. It's either you choose to kick him out, or we'll choose to step away from you. Okay, and um, God opened the door, went to Teen Challenge. The first day, I got saved. I was so desperate. I got saved not because I really wanted to love Jesus, but not to go to hell. And that was a great exchange for the life I had in exchange for the one he has given unto me. And just to celebrate his goodness. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And um, my wife here, I, I met her in Bible college. And, um, you know, we dated and uh, we kept it real. And the Lord opened many doors. And so we are here because of Jesus. And we celebrate the goodness of God because of Jesus and the person of his Holy Spirit. We live in this great nation because of Jesus. My passion is to one day become uh, a traveling missionary because you know what Americans they they gave up their time and their money and they poured into my life and New York founded Teen Challenge Jamaica all right 
And I met this New Yorker here. We have several things in common. One, we are brothers in Christ. And two, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm just telling you. Okay? All right? And so um, he's really passionate. You know, I, I was just with him recently in November. And um, I heard him say something to me, right? We're at breakfast. And he said to me with his backpack, he says, I have to go pray. And I'm like, man, what is this? I felt so convicted because it's early in the morning. And he, he has his backpack on. And I really wanted to talk with him around breakfast. And he said, uh, Sterling, I, I have to go pray. And he looked at his watch. But you guys have an amazing leader here. He and his family. And um, I have many friends in this audience. You hear me? Many friends in this audience. And the Lord bless you richly. And Jesus is alive. Amen. Amen. Hold on. So you're telling me, Sterling, you're telling me you are a full-blown drug addict yes sir i mean you were addicted completely addicted and and how did you get off of drugs did you have to go into like did they give you medicine to get you off of it did they did they, did they just put probes on your head and try to get i mean what did they do how'd you get free of the drugs i mean there's a statistic that says that government programs they have like a seven to ten percent recovery rate at mm -hmm. the best yep. and teen challenge students they have like a 75 to 85 percent recovery what in the world helped you to get off of drugs it's a very very simple answer whenever time the question is raised i was blind but now i see okay and um, he touched me. I know. I came in contact. I remember the day when it happened. I, I said, Jesus, if you're real, Mr. Anthony Richards, who was then the program manager, it was his final day transitioning from program manager to program director. And he was bold enough. He said, do you know Jesus? And I said, no. I know about Jesus. And I accepted Christ in my heart. It's going on 15 years. And so the change agent in any Teen Challenge Center you go is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation upon which the ministry is built, all right? And I get to see it. I, I could stand here and give you stats, okay? But everybody, for 95% for, for of those who have successfully grad, completed and graduated the program today, 86% of those men and women are still following Jesus. 86%. So thank you so much. And, and now you go from drug addict to director of a yeah. Teen Challenge program. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't add up. Huh. It does not add up. It's foolishness. It's, it's complete foolishness in my mind. But you know, God, this word is so true. He takes, he takes the base things of the world. Amen. What people consider foolish. So we have to be careful what we consider foolish. And no longer good for any good use. Alright. But when you come in contact with Jesus for real. It's the Jesus factor. That changes all. God bless you. Alright. Praise the Lord. Come on somebody. God is in the life changing business. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, Sterling wants to be in the ministry. He is. He's a director, but he wants to go on and pastor. Let's pray an anointing over his life. He wants to do missionary work. Let's pray for open doors for him. 
I'm so proud of him. He's, one, he, he, he's like one of my spiritual sons in some ways. And, uh, you know, he said, I'm going to come and visit with you. And we had some time together, and we talked about future stuff and tried to pour a little bit into him, you know. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. Father, I pray, God, for Sterling right now, God. Father, I pray you open doors that no man can shut, Lord. God, keep him strong, focused. Use him in greater ways than he could ever imagine, Lord. Bless his beautiful wife, his daughter, his family. And, Lord, I pray that you bring him to the next place, Lord, that you have for him, Lord God. And may, as he travels, as he preaches, may he always give glory to you, Lord, because he knows, like Zacchaeus, Lord, that day you came and you visited him, he accepted you, and you've changed his life forever. Thank you for life transformation in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Love you, brother. Love you, brother. Love you. I just love his accent, too. You know what I mean? You are my pastor. So I believe that in all of our lives, maybe you're here today, and you've never given your life to Jesus. Today's an opportunity. Don't pass up this opportunity. Maybe you're a Christian, and you know that God still has to do some work in your life. Today's an opportunity. But what keeps us from experiencing Jesus when he comes? I think there are several things that keep us from really experiencing Jesus when he visits us. And I want, to, I want you to see this. I want you to write this down. The first thing that keeps us from experiencing Jesus in our life, really experiencing Jesus in our life, is pride. Now, you might say, I don't have any pride. But you see, pride is a very subtle thing. It's a very sudden, a subtle poison that contaminates our souls. Jesus said, if you really want to experience me, if you really want to experience my kingdom, then you've got to become like a little child. So the opposite of pride is becoming like a little child. And what does it mean to become like a little child? You trust, you believe, you respond the moment that you're told something. And the truth is, pride creeps into all of our lives. And it keeps us from doing whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Notice what Zacchaeus did when he sees Jesus. He climbs up a sycamore tree. Now, can you imagine for a moment Zacchaeus' friend saying, Dude, get down from that tree. You're making a fool out of yourself. Become more dignified than that. Don't you know who you are? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And as a tax collector, he was hated by the Jews. And the reason why he was hated by the Jews is because he was actually hired by the Roman government to tax the people of Israel. And he was a thief. And so he would extort money from the Jewish people and he became rich by extortion. And the Jewish people hated him, but he had a high position. He wasn't just an IRS agent. He was a manager. He had his big office. He had a lot of power and prestige. And now he hears that Jesus is coming. You see, he had all the money in the world, and yet there was something missing on the inside. He understood that all the money couldn't buy the peace that he needed on the inside. 
inside. All the fame, all the popularity, all the position and power, all the parties and all the things that he had could not bring serenity and peace in his heart. And he heard that Jesus was coming and nothing was going to keep him from seeing Jesus. He climbs up the tree and his friends say, come on, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. And you know what? He said, listen, I'll become even more undignified than that. Listen to me, just like David, when the ark came into Jerusalem, the Bible said that David was ecstatic at the presence of Almighty God, that he stripped off his royal robe and he was in his undergarments and he notices that Jesus, the God of heaven, God the Father, Yahweh Adonai, he comes into Jerusalem with the ark of the covenant. He feels the presence of God. There's a moment, there's an opportunity where God comes and David says, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. And he begins to praise the Lord with all of his heart. He begins to dance before the Lord. And his wife says, you look like a fool. You are looking like an undignified court gesture. And David said, woman, you're a fool. I'm in the presence of Almighty God. I don't care what you think. And I'm telling you today, you've got to get to the point in your life that you don't care what man thinks about you. You don't care what man says about you. You're going to get to Jesus. You're going to experience Jesus. And I'm going to tell you today that some of you in this room, God's going to speak to you after this service and he's going to want you to get up out of your seat and come to this altar and turn your life over to God. And I'm telling you, the fear of man is a snare. The fear of man will keep you holding you down. But you've got to break out of the fear of man and you've got to humble yourself and you've got to recognize this is the moment. This is the time of God's visitation in my life. And I don't care what man says. I need Jesus. Come on, somebody. He didn't care. And notice what happens because of his humility. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does it really mean to be proud? It means, look, God, I'll come to you on my terms. Why did they miss it? Why did the people in Jerusalem miss it? Because they were coming to Jesus on their terms, not on his terms. Jesus, I'll come to you when I have time. I have to bury my father. He wasn't even dead yet. I've got a piece of land that I've got to finish up the deed and take care of the, the details. And Jesus said, if you want to come follow me, you come now. You see, pride is so subtle that when God tells you to do something, you miss it. When God tells you to pick up that phone and ask for forgiveness, you don't do it because you're proud. When God tells you to get out of your seat, fall before the Lord on your face, and cry out to God for healing, you don't do it because you're proud. When God tells you to speak to your neighbor about the Lord, you don't do it because you're proud. You see, the only way you can experience the power of God is when you get to the point where you have right now obedience. Because there's going to be moments where God's going to say to you, right now, this is your moment. Take it. And it might pass you by. Like Jesus is walking on the shore of Galilee. And he sees these young men. They've got possibility. They've got potential. They can change the world. And Jesus says, Peter, get out of that boat. Peter could have said, not now. I've got to do this or that. James, come out of that boat. 
not now. I got to bury my father. But the Bible says immediately in their humility, right now obedience, they got out of the boat and they followed Jesus. That's the opportunity. I wonder that rich young ruler who, who, who actually Jesus comes to the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler says, Jesus, what, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, do all these things. He says, I've done all these things. He said, but right now, right now, I want you to give everything away. Come follow me. Now let me get graphic with you today. Just picture this. The rich young ruler could have been one of Jesus' disciples. But the Bible never tells us that he came to Christ. So let me get graphic with you. Where do you think the rich young ruler is right now? He's burning in hell. Oh, Pastor Steve, that's radical. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but through me. If if your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be separated from God throughout all of eternity. Listen, you either believe it or you don't. Either you understand it and accept it or you don't. It's a radical message. It's a radical message. But either we believe it or not. And there's always going to be moments, opportunities. And if you miss those opportunities, they may not come back again to you. And that's why we need right now obedience when Christ speaks to us. You know, there's a story about another rich man in the Bible. He was so successful that he he built a barn and the barn got full of produce and so he had to tear down that barn and build a bigger one and he built a bigger one and built a bigger one and built a bigger one. And God kept on speaking to him and saying, you need to be rich towards your children. You need to be rich towards your family. You need to be rich towards God, towards me. And they said, tomorrow I'll do that. He said, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm too busy. I'm too busy building my kingdom. And there's a lot of fathers in here. There's a lot of husbands in here. You're just too busy to really respond to God. You come to church, you give God a couple of hours during the week. It makes you feel good. But you're not really living for God. You know you're not living for God because you don't give God any time. And the truth of the matter is, is that you just keep on amassing your wealth and amassing your wealth. But you're not rich towards your family. You're not rich towards your wife. You're not rich towards your children. You're not rich towards God. And the Bible says that that man, he died that day, and God said to the rich young or the rich fool, he said, today, don't you know that your life is required of you, and all your life you spent time being rich toward yourself, but you were not obedient, right now obedience towards me. The second thing that will keep you from God is idolatry. What's idolatry? We think, we think idolatry is carving a wood statue out and putting it in the corner of our living room and bowing down. We don't do that anymore. We have flat screen TVs. But, but idolatry is putting anything before God. That's it. Simple. Idolatry is what you put your trust in. You know, I, I, I really actually, I really want to, I know this is going to bother some of you, but I want to call the president up. Yo, Donald. And I want them to, 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 to take in God we trust off the dollar bills. You say, why? Because it's a mockery. Because the truth is, most Americans don't trust in God. They trust in money. I'd, I'd rather us be honest and put on there, in money we trust. So, so we've, got, we've, we, we've got to ask ourselves the question, are we idolaters? Are we putting anything in our life before God? Is there anything that we trust more than God in our life? Is there anything that comes 
before God in our life, before right now obedience in our life. You say, no, nothing, nothing comes before God in my life. I'm, God is number one. Well, you'll know if God's number one. I'll tell you if you know if God's number one. Did you put $10 in the offering for Easter? Hey, let's get the ushers again to come again. Let's sec, second chance. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not putting $10 in the offering. I need it for my two cups of coffee on Starbucks. Silly, but it's true. See, the way that you can determine whether or not you have idolatry in your life is just check and see what your, your checkbook says. See what the receipts say. I've been rich towards God. If you love God and he comes first, you'll be rich towards his kingdom. Now you say, oh, Pastor Steve, you're subtly putting a message in about money. It's not money. It, it, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not bad. Thank God I have it. But it's not my God. And if God told me to leave my job and become a missionary, then I better respond. If God told me to do something, and I knew he did, but I was holding on to something in my life. That's idolatry. There might be a relationship. Let's put the money away because some people are getting nervous now, and I need to save this for the third service. <laughs> it may not be money. It may be a relationship. Maybe you know, you just know that that guy that you're dating, he don't really love the Lord. Come on now. But you like the fact that he's good looking. And your girlfriend say, you got the best looking guy on the block. And that makes you feel good. But you know that that guy in church that's not as good looking as that guy, but he's a lover of God. Man, he loves his church. He loves his God. Man, he's got a call of God on his life. But you, you see, you like that good looking guy. And God said, you need to let that go. You can't let that go. That's your idol in your life. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Glory to God. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not a relationship. Maybe it's time. Hey, you could, you could see if God is really God in your life. How much time do you spend doing the things of God, spending time with God? Oh, I don't have time to read the Bible. We're, we're reading the Bible all the way through the New Testament. You don't have time to take 10 minutes to read the Word? How many hours are in a day? Oh, not a trick question, guys. This is not a dull moment. How many minutes are in a day? You just, you see, you look at your treasures, you look at your time, and you look at your talent, and you decide what's God in your life. The third thing that I would suggest to you keeps us from God is worldliness. You know, 1 John says, don't love the world and don't love anything in the world because the love of the world and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is all really something that will drag you away from your relationship with God. So what does it mean to be worldly? Well, it means that you love the world more than you love God. What does that mean? I, you, you figure it out. What, what does loving the world in your life more than God mean. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and forfeit, I like that word, his soul. Hallelujah. And I think we forfeit our soul every day. 
Not just once, not just throughout eternity, but we forfeit our soul by the choices that we make, the world or Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. Take the world and all that it has, but give me Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only one who can give us rest for our soul. He said, if you're weary and tired, I'm the only one that can give you eternal life and rest for your weary soul. Zacchaeus was tired. His soul was tired. He was tired of running. He was tired trying to find peace and satisfaction and meaning and eternal life. The moment he met Jesus, all the money in the world could not give him what he experienced at the feet of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you this question as the worship team comes today. Do you really want to see Jesus? Do you really want to experience Jesus in your life? There's one, there's one other thing that will keep you from experiencing Jesus, and, and that is your past. It really lies in your past. There are two things in your past that you need to deal with in order to really experience the glory of God in your life. One is guilt, and the other one is unresolved issues. Guilt and unresolved issues. Notice, notice what happens when Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree. Notice what happens. Listen, follow me, track with me, look at me for a moment. Here's, here's the progression. Zacchaeus is in the tree. His friends are telling him, come down, you look like a fool. Zacchaeus says, I'm not coming down until I see Jesus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He looks up. He says, Zacchaeus, today. He said, come down from that tree immediately. Right now, obedience. Come down now, immediately. For today, I must come to visit your home. Zacchaeus jumps out of that tree. And Jesus says, today I'm going to visit your home. And the Pharisees, they start ridiculing and mocking Jesus. He's going to hang out with a sinner? If he knew who he was, he would never go into his house. Zacchaeus had a moment where he would say, I'm going to climb that tree or I'm not going to even bother climbing that tree because Jesus would never come to my house. My life is too dirty. I've done too many bad things in my life but you see Zacchaeus did not keep from going to that tree his guilt could have kept him pulled him down from that tree but he would not because he was humble and broken before the Lord and some of you are dealing with a past some of you are dealing with a, a past where you've made some incredible mistakes in your life and the enemy comes and whispers in your ear listen to me this morning I was praying for you and I was binding the voice of the enemy that speaks to you and says you can't come to Jesus your life is so dirty but Jesus says come as you are today though your sins be as scarlet you shall be white as snow as far as the east is from the west so I will remove your sins and if you confess your sins I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and and forgive you from all your sins and wipe the slate clean and you can have a a brand new beginning. Notice what Zacchaeus does. He comes down from the tree, does not allow guilt to keep him from Jesus. But notice what he does. And here I think is the, the key to experience so much more of God than we're experiencing right now. Notice what Zacchaeus says. He says, and I will give 
to the poor, half of all I have. What is he letting go of? His idolatry. What is he letting go of? His worldliness. He was, he was bringing it to the feet of Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow. God becomes Lord of everything in our life. Jesus, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He wants everything, everything you have, lay it at his feet today. You can't be his disciple until you come totally broken before God, humbled before God and say it all belongs to you. But notice what Zacchaeus, man, here's, here's a guy who is living a sinful life. I mean, completely off the rails. But he understands what true repentance is. He understands what it is to make it right with somebody. And what does he say? He says, and Lord, if I have cheated anyone, Lord, if I have hurt anybody, Lord, if I've done something wrong, God, I'm going back, Lord, and I'm asking those people to to forgive me of what I've done to them, and I'm going to repay them back four times with interest, Lord. I'm going to make it right. Listen to me. I'm, I'm here to tell you today that there's too many preachers that are preaching sloppy agape. They're preaching sloppy gospel. You can come to Jesus, and whatever you did in your past, just forget it. Yes, you're forgiven of it, but sometimes you've got to go back and be obedient to the Lord and say, listen to me. I hurt you forgive me I did something wrong I want to be reconciled didn't Jesus say when you have a gift and you bring it to the altar and you know that you hurt somebody you know that you wounded somebody you know that you offended somebody leave your gift at the altar and be reconciled and there's somebody in this room today you're a father and you hurt your son and you're a Christian now and you need to go humble yourself and say son I did some bad things in my past but I'm here to tell you that I love you and I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to do the right thing. Come on. When you begin to do that, God meets you right there at your humble place and he begins to bless you and he begins to pour his anointing in your life. Why? Because you're turning your repentance into action and if you don't do anything about it, then you haven't really repented. There's a woman in this room and I'm going to say you've been unfaithful to your husband and man, you need to go to your husband and say, please forgive me for what I've done and I'm going to build trust again. You can have my phone. You can see my phone. You can see my phone logs. You can see everywhere I go. Why? Because I'm not going to do it again. I've turned away from this and the Holy Spirit will come. He'll meet you right there and he'll give you the strength and confidence to make it right. Hallelujah. I'm telling you today, God is here. Your moment, your opportunity to meet God is right here and I'm telling you if you come broken before the Lord Jesus will meet you at this altar come on bow your heads and close your eyes right now here comes your moment here comes your moment right now don't miss it bow your eyes bow your heads close your eyes notice what Jesus does he looks up at that tree and he doesn't say young man come down from that tree He doesn't say, sinner, come down from that tree. Jesus says, Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. Hallelujah. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is calling you by name. He loves you as an individual in the crowd. Oh, look at that crowd. It's a massive crowd. The Bible tells us that Jesus calls him by name. Out of all the people, out of all the religious people, out of all the Pharisees, out of all the people that go to temple, out of all the people that go to church, Jesus picks the sinner and calls him by name. 
God knows you by name today. Wherever you are, maybe you're in the cafe today. God knows you by name. Maybe you're watching via live stream. You're in Italy. God knows you by name. You're in Trinidad. God knows you by name. And he's knocking on your heart today. And maybe you say, Pastor, I don't know if I die today. I'd go to heaven. And I need Jesus to save me. I don't have peace in my life. I need Jesus to save me. I'm addicted. And I need Jesus to set me free. I'm confused and I need direction. I'm depressed. And I need peace in my tormented soul. I'm here to tell you, he's calling you by name today. And he's reaching out to you today. And you've got to reach up in humility today. And you say, yes, Lord, I want to respond. I want you to write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I want to go to heaven. I want to be forgiven of my sins. God is here today to meet you right where you are. You say, Pastor, pray for me today. I don't know if I died today. I'd go to heaven. I need Jesus in my life. I want you to raise your hand right now all over this place. I want you to raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, pray for me. Yes, Pastor, pray for me. Anybody else? Yes, God bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Anybody else in this place today? You say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want you to all stand to your feet right now. I want you to stand to your feet with me right now. Hallelujah. I'm going to make the first initial call to people that don't know Jesus. That don't know if they died today, they'd go to heaven. I want you to turn right now to your neighbor. And I want you to say to your neighbor, neighbor, listen, before, listen to me. Before you leave this place, I want you to say to your neighbor, hey, if you died today, are you certain that you'd go to heaven? And if they say, I don't know, I want you to grab them by the hand and say, come on, let's not let pride, let's not let guilt, let's not let indecision keep us from making the most important decision. Jesus is here right now. Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. You don't know, friend, what tomorrow will bring. Today is your moment. I don't care if you're in the balcony. Walk down the steps. Jesus walked all the way up the hill. You can walk down the steps. If you're in the cafe, Franklin is in the cafe right now and he wants to pray with you. I want to encourage you to move out of your seat and go to the front of the cafe and let somebody pray with you. We've got some information for you. We want you to start this brand new journey of faith. And I'm here to give you this opportunity right now. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and if you raised your hands, you said, yes, I want Jesus. Let's see if you really mean it. You see, remember, idolatry, idolatry is putting anything before God. Pride is saying tomorrow, not today, tomorrow. You'll know if you have pride. If you raised your hand and you don't respond, you got pride in your life. You're afraid of man more than you're afraid of God. You're afraid of man more than being willing to take that moment of opportunity. So you say, pastor, that's me. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, if you died today, do you know for certain that you go to heaven? If they say no, say, come on, I'll go with you. And then I want you to step out of your seat quickly and come to this altar right now. Come on, turn to your neighbor right now and say, do you know if you died today? Come on, come on. You don't know. You don't know. If, if you say, well, I know that they're crazy. How do you know? Come on, turn to your neighbor right now and say, if you die today, and come on, I want you to grab him by the hand and come up. Come on, come on. Come join me right now. Come join me. right. I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray a blessing over your life. I want to pray a blessing over your life. Come on, come on, come on. I want to pray that God touches your life. God is here today. You come, come, come quickly, come quickly, come quickly, come quickly, come quickly. Say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I, I want to get right with God today. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Today's the moment. Today's the moment in your life. Come forward. Come on, come on, come on, come on. 
Come on, there's more of you. You need to come. You just come today. Let the Holy Ghost touch you today. Let the power of God touch you today. This is the moment. This is your moment today. This is your moment today. You come. You say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You come. You come. You come today. You come today. You're in the balcony. You come today. You say, Pastor Steve, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus, but I want to go deeper. I want to know him more intimately. I want Jesus to do a deeper work in my life. I want to be obedient to Jesus when he speaks. I want to experience more of God. If that's you today, you say, yes, man, I just want to experience more of God in my life. I want you to come. Keep keep them coming and don't block the aisles. Nobody block the aisles. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. That's you today. Come on. There's others that are coming. There's others that are coming. There's others that are coming. This is God's moment of opportunity for you. You just come. You say, Pastor, I want to go deeper in God today. Now I want you to get out of your seat. You're a Christian. And you want to say, I'm not going to miss those opportunities when God speaks to me. I want you to get out of your seat and just come and stand right over here. Stand right over here. Just come. Just come. Just stand. Come. Come out of your seat. Come. 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 Come out of your seat. It's, it's crowded, but who cares? Who cares? Let, let the lines go out the door. Who cares? Just get out of your seat today. Get out of your seat today. Don't stay in your seat today. Get out of your seat today. We're going to pray in a moment. Say, God, I want more of you, God. I want more of the power of the Spirit in my life. Get out of your seat today and come. Just come forward. Come press in as far as you can. Hallelujah. I want more God today. I want you to sing this song with us today. It says, come to the altar. Come to the altar. What's at the altar? At the altar is death. Death to self. At the altar is life. Life that comes through our union with Christ. Through our humility with Christ. I want everybody in this room, you're in the balcony on the first floor. Maybe you didn't come forward, but you know that you want more of God today. I want you to raise your hand as high as you can today. And I want you to say, I want more of Jesus. More of Jesus in my life. More of God in my life. I want to experience your power, God. I want to experience your anointing, God. I want to experience your love, God. I want to experience your wisdom, God. I want to be like you, Jesus, in the way that I live my life, God. And if there's something that you need to get right with somebody, I want you to get on the phone. Right now, obedience. I want you to get on the phone after you leave this place and call somebody that, that, that you have a broken relationship and say, I'm sorry. I want, to, I, I, I want to do what is right. I, I, want, I want to be like Zacchaeus. Oh, Lord Jesus, today, Lord, if there's anything that I've hurt anybody, if I've done anything, I'm going to make it right. You need to make it right. What happens when you start making things right in your life? God comes. The power of God comes. The anointing, the grace of God comes all over you when you make a decision to do what is right. I promise you that obedience proceeds the power of God in your life. It doesn't mean that you're saved by works. It means because you're saved, now you're going to do the right thing. Come on, somebody. Raise your hand.